everybody, and welcome to the Holmes Politicast. I'll be your host today, and I hope everyone's having a great day. Well, it looks like our long national nightmare is coming to an end. The uh, CDC now has said that if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask indoors or outdoors, pretty much. Many stores are now removing the mask mandates and just as a glorious thing. Of course, there's no real way to tell if you're vaccinated or not. So pretty much it's a license for everybody to not have to wear a mask. Um, you know, so they're not, you know, they're not going to have guards at the door asking to see your papers or anything. This was something that the Republicans talked about with the vaccine passport that really was a little ridiculous. You know, there wasn't going to be a show me your papers kind of thing. It, it was a passport, you know, um, meaning if you wanted to go to other countries, you had to have proof that you'd been vaccinated before you could enter several countries. So, I mean, there was never going to be like at Meyer, uh, people, guards out there saying, show me your papers before you come in to prove you're vaccinated or things like that. So it was a little blown out of proportion. But I think that's great news that we're finally getting back to normal. We should be back to normal as far as that by the summer, uh, which I guess is the goal. Uh, uh, there's more to that. Maybe we'll get into later. It seems like it's being planned because Biden put that goal for Independence Day. Uh, it seems like everyone's kind of working in tandem, the CDC and the Democratic governors of California and Michigan and New, uh, New York are kind of working in tandem to make sure that by July 4th, we are back to normal with that. The economy is a different story. It's going to take a while for the economy to get roaring again, primarily because there's going to be a lot of people who, after a whole year of being told uh, how scary this virus is, and just the force of habit, there's going to be a lot of people who aren't going to be, you know, oh, yesterday we had to wear a mask, but today we don't. Now we're all safe. No, they're going to want to still wear it. I don't trust it yet. I'm not sure if I should be going out to restaurants. I don't know if I should be going out to stores without my mask. You know, uh, there's going to be some hesitancy for some people to go out and get jobs again. You know, I'm, I'm nervous about working around people. You know, for a whole year, over a year, you know, we've been social distance. People have been working from home or they've been collecting unemployment or welfare or something, you know, and it's it's hard to now go out around people and suddenly say, yeah, let's all let's all hang out. Let's all let me go out and work a job around people again and things like that. I mean, that's that's going to be a segment. I'm not saying that's necessarily majority of people, but there's going to be a segment that are not going to be able to flip the switch after that. I mean, you, you, I mean, habits are, are so strong in our country. It is hard to turn off and on our feelings about things. You saw the same thing. You saw the same thing uh, when it comes to, to certain prejudices, you know, in world war two, like Japan and Germany were our enemies. We were, you know, we were fighting them. And as soon as the war ended, 
it was hard for everyone just to be like, oh, okay, the Japanese are great now. No, I mean, after four years of of the Japanese being our enemy and being suspicious of Japanese people because you don't know if they are with us or against us and and all that, it's hard then to just flip a switch and be like, oh, okay, Japanese are good now. We're, they're our friends. You know, you still saw that even into the 50s. In fact, my grandfather, who served in the Pacific during World War II, uh, held uh, I hate to use the term, but because he was a good man, but he held some prejudice against the Japanese well until, you know, I mean, I was kind of too young to remember, but but according to my parents, well, it's like the early 80s. I mean, you know, 40 years after the war, he still didn't trust the Japanese. He still didn't like the Japanese. He, he, he just had uh, a distrust for them even after all that time, because they were the enemy. And it was hard for him. I mean, it got less over time. It's not like, you know, by the 80s, he still, you know, he hated Japanese people. No, he just, but he just had a distrust for them. He just didn't think that they, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it because I didn't actually hear him talk. I'm basing it on secondhand, but, but still, um, there still was a lot of prejudice against the Japanese. You saw it after 9-11. There was a lot of prejudice against Muslims, and some of that still persists, although it's a lot less than it was, because it's very hard after you have something in your head for a long time to then suddenly flip a switch and say, oh, yeah, uh, you know, all those things I believed are no longer true, you know, um, and that's that's the problem that you're going to have here is there's going to be a lot of people who after a whole year of being told that this virus is out there and I'm not I'm not saying that none of this is true I'm just all I'm saying is this is what was said that the virus was very deadly it was you know it was going to kill people and you know you didn't know where it was lurking you didn't know who was infected you need to stay away from people you need to stay home you need you know only go out for emergencies you have to wear a mask maybe two or three masks to stay safe you know um our kids can be infectors, so we want to keep them home from school and all this, and then suddenly say, you know what, all that you we talked about before, forget it. It's fine. Go out without a mask. Go out and, you know, let's bring school back. Let's 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 go back to work. It's gonna be hard for a lot of people to like, you know, to come back from that just immediately to bounce back. It's gonna take a little while for people to start their attitudes changing again and 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 feel secure around crowds a lot of people now not everybody but you know a, a lot of people and so it's going to take a while for our economy to to bounce back because you're not having people re-enter the workforce you know and there's a good argument that's made by many conservatives that that part of that problem is because they're getting paid so well uh on unemployment and things that there's no reason to leave your house to go get a job if you can just stay home and collect a paycheck. There is some truth to that. But there is also some truth that there are people who don't feel comfortable yet, you know, going out and working uh, out of fear that, you know, being around all those people, it's just not something they're accustomed to after a year. They're, they're pretty sheltered being away from people. So they've almost become antisocial. Like, I don't really want to be around a lot of people. 
I'm not interested in going to a movie theater or, you know, I'd rather watch a movie at home than go to a movie theater where it's crowded and there's all kinds of people and there's germs and you don't know who's been vaccinated and you don't know where they've been. And, you know, and I don't, I don't want to go to a workplace where I'm working in a cubicle next to somebody or working on a factory floor with, you know, 40 or 50 other people. You know, I'd rather just stay home for a while until I feel more secure. Um, you know, and then there's going to be people who wonder, are the CDC wrong? I mean, they've had mixed messages now for a while and maybe they're wrong about this. And maybe in another month, they're gonna be like, oops, we made a mistake. The virus is still out there. You guys need to go home. You know, like, well, now we've been out here working and now suddenly you tell us that we're, it's dangerous. We've been out here without our masks, you know, and because you said we could, you know, so it's, it's going to take a little while, but I'm happy to see it. I'm happy that slowly, even if it is slowly, we're we're coming back. And it, it's not as fast as I'd like, but it's faster than I expected. I really thought this thing would be delayed, you know, maybe to the end of the year. So I'm I'm really excited about that. Really excited. Um let's see here. Uh Another thing that has come out this week that's really been talked about a lot, and I don't have any real um, knowledge about this. I don't really have a whole lot to say, except I just have questions. Just something I want you to think about here. There's been a lot of talk in the past week or two about UFOs, and I'm not really sure why uh, this is being pushed by our government. You know, usually there's a reason for everything. You know, the government knows how to downplay things and how to play up things. This was something that um, President Eisenhower talked about years ago. Uh, I don't know where he talked about this. I've, I've seen the quote many times, and it's been in books and things, where he talked about the power of the presidency, how you can um, – one of the things that he enjoyed in his press conferences is he can play down issues and he can play up issues that he wants the public to be aware of. So, you know, if – if uh, you know, whatever the issue is, you, the president and the government can downplay an issue and the press won't really talk about it or they can play up an issue and the press will talk about it all the time. and Usually it's for their own political reasons or personal reasons. But this week, we've seen a lot of talk about UFOs. The Pentagon has been releasing uh, video footage of UFOs. And let me, let me just clarify UFO. When, I, when we're talking about UFOs here, we're talking about unidentified flying objects. We're not talking about little green men or extraterrestrial life. That is the default that most people go to um, is to say that UFOs are extraterrestrials coming to Earth. But the actual truest definition of a UFO means it's just something that is flying that we don't know what it is. It, you know, it could be an optical illusion. It could be uh, 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 it could be alien life from another planet. It could be um, a top secret um, government plane. Or, but it's just something that you can't identify. You see it, and it's obviously not, you know, a jet. It's obviously not 
a regular item that we would see. So it's unidentified. We're not sure what it is. So when I'm saying this, I don't want people to immediately assume that this that I'm talking about extraterrestrial life, that there's some kind of proof that we have that, that aliens from another planet have come down to visit us. We're just talking about the existence of things that we don't know what they are. But it is odd that, that the Pentagon has been releasing this 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 uh, footage of various instances uh, where they don't where the Pentagon is saying we don't know what these are, and here are some examples of items flying that we don't know what to what they are. Um, and so I've been I've been saying this a number of times. The Pentagon releasing it, and then Barack Obama came out yesterday and he made a statement about the existence of ufos again not extraterrestrials but saying that there are many objects over the years that that when he was president that that occurred that they that the pentagon did not understand and could not confirm what they were and you know and then he 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 uh later on admitted that he asked about aliens and everything, and, and he was told that there was no evidence. But um, it, it's just interesting to me that there has been a real discussion about this. Like the government's really playing up this UFO kind of thing. Um, for years, they've always either downplayed it or denied it and said there are no UFOs. Um, everything that is seen out there has a logical explanation. You know, they're weather balloons, they are whatever, you know. Um, we know what they are. There's no nothing out there that we can't explain that it's just panic by the people. Um, and now they've suddenly switched. And I don't know what the reasoning is. And I, I'm curious as to what you guys think. What would be the purpose of the government coming out now and really playing up that there are things out there that we don't understand. And I'm interested in what you think. I mean, if, if you think that, um, you know, do you think that there might be extraterrestrial and alien technology out there and that they're trying to prepare us, you know, for it? Um, that is one theory that many people have ascribed that that they're they're ready to release to the public what they know about alien technology, but they don't want to release it all at once because it might panic people. So they want to slowly start releasing information to get people thinking about the idea that there's stuff out there that we don't understand so that it's not such a shock when they suddenly say, Hey, look, we've got aliens and hangers. We've got UFOs that, that we've captured. And, you know, with all this alien technology, there's also um, one thing that I thought of was that this could have something to do with the space force that they just created. Because there's a lot of complaints that there's no need for a space force. What on earth do we need a space force for? It's a lot of wasted money. It adds to our deficit. There's no real need for it. And by doing this, even if they're not claiming it's alien technology, but by saying there are unidentified things out there, maybe one theory that I have is that it's possible they're trying to make the case for the space force that we need the space force to examine these things, to investigate these things, to find out, you know, what they are. Are they harmful to the, to the, to our planet? Are they harmful to our country? 
And then there's always the possibility there's something they're trying to deflect from, like, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but we'll say, you know, that, um, you know, a scandal's about to break concerning the Pentagon or something, and, you know, they're they're trying to get the attention off of that by, you know, hey, look, there's UFOs. Don't don't look over here behind this curtain. Look at look over here. This shiny object. There's UFOs. Look at this. You know, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not really sure. We might not know right away, and we might not know for a long time. But um, I'm just curious as to what what you guys think. What would be the uh, what would be the purpose of suddenly playing up UFOs and everyone talking about these identified flying objects and why why suddenly why now why why not last year why not a year from now you know some of these video this, some of this video footage they've had for years so why now all at once um just something that i don't have an answer for but i'm i'm curious as to what you guys think a much closer to home uh i have a story here uh it's from Grant Haven. It's from MLive. But um, it says, Pure cameras to deter lighthouse vandalism being installed in Grand Haven. Uh, you don't see a lot of stories that take place in Grand Haven. So this is a little interesting to me. And I'm always interested in knowing what's going on in Grand Haven. This is an article by Lynn Moore. And it says, Five surveillance cameras will be installed on Grand Haven's pier to deter ongoing vandalism, primarily graffiti, at the city's iconic lighthouse. The Grand Haven City Council on Monday, May 17th, agreed to the placement of the cameras on the pier's catwalk. The $20,200 project was paid with donated funds. The kind of graffiti, the kind of defacing we've gotten over the past year is pretty obnoxious, said Mayor Robert Monetza, I think this will help a lot. Um, a fundraising campaign for the cameras was announced in February, uh, following several instances of vandalism last summer. At that time, Grand Haven City Manager Pat McGinnis estimated the pier's inner and outer lighthouses had been spray-painted on six occasions in August 2020 alone. The cameras will relay images via antenna, to the city's Department of Public Safety. Part of the impact is that the people that go out there and are thinking about something they ought not to be doing, they'll be seeing the cameras, McGinnis told council members Monday. And for the rest of us, it will be a sense of security and peace of mind. There will not be live monitoring of the cameras, but notifications can be sent to the Public Safety Department when specific analytic analytics built into the cameras indicate suspicious activity, according to a memo to Public Safety Director Jeffrey Hawk from Public, uh, oh, to Public Safety Director Jeff Hawk from Public Safety Lieutenant Joseph Boyle. The council agreed to contact, or to contract with Presidio of Caledonia to install the cameras. Four dome cameras will be mounted on the pier to view both sides of the inner lighthouse, located about midway on the pier, and the east side of the outer lighthouse, according to Presidio's proposal. A fifth camera used to cover the west side of the outer lighthouse will be able to be removed in winter, according 
to an overview from Presidio. The funds for the project came from an asset protection fund set up at the Grand Haven Area Community Found Foundation. The red wooden outer lighthouse attached to square-shaped living quarters was built in the 1870s. It is at the far end of the city's pier and recently refurbished catwalk. The outer lighthouse has been the subject of ongoing preservation efforts for, the, for at least 10 years. This year, it will receive $75,000 in renovations to its lantern room, one of the final projects needed before the lighthouse opens as a museum. Grand Haven Lighthouse Conservancy President Dave Carpin told MLive earlier. After the lantern room repairs are complete, the lighthouse will need repairs to its cement base before the museum that will include restored living quarters opens, Carpin said. So that's interesting. Um, I didn't real. I haven't been down to the pier in a while, so I didn't realize that there was so much uh, graffiti and things going on down there. I am, I am glad to hear that they raised funds for it. So it's not um, taxpayers paying for it. I mean, you're not that I'm opposed necessarily to the taxpayers paying for it, but I'm just saying. It saves the taxpayers money is all I'm saying. It's nice that they, they look to see how they could raise funds without having to just raise taxes again. But yeah, um, I didn't, uh, another thing I didn't realize that the lighthouse was built in the 1870s. Um, you know, but if you, if you don't live in the Grand Haven area, I would definitely encourage you to stop by this summer and enjoy the, the boardwalk. It's a really amazing and, and the, and the, and the, pier it's a really amazing i mean it's an amazing city boardwalk and the views are great and on a beautiful day there is nothing better than to walk out there if you if you have a loved one or a special someone in your life it's very romantic you get there you know and the the lights are are out there and it's just oh it's just beautiful and it's just a very romantic place it's a great place to propose it's a great place um, just to walk and to clear air or to clear your mind. Um, I do that many times since I don't have a special someone uh, right now. Um, many times I go out there for a long walk when I have a lot on my mind and it just kind of de-stresses me a little bit and helps me put things in perspective. So it's it's really great. I would really encourage everyone to uh, to go down there and check it out. Um, and it's going to be interesting when that museum opens. I didn't, I didn't know there was going to have a museum here. I'm used to uh, uh, things going uh, around in my local area. Policy story, and we're going to have another one about Whitmer in a minute, but I, I might want to talk about more. But this is from Fox News, and it's talking about the ongoing uh, problems in the Middle East, which hopefully are going to be scaled back now. Um, but the headline reads, Biden tells Israel's Netanyahu he expects significant de-escalation of the Gaza conflict Wednesday. Um, President Biden on Wednesday told Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu that he expects significant de-escalation as part of the move to a potential ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. Biden spoke to Netanyahu early Wednesday. And the, whoops. 
There we go. Homeless. I forgot that they run ads on this. Um, Biden spoke to Netanyahu early Wednesday, and the White House said the two had a detailed discussion of the state of events in Gaza, Israel's progress in degrading the capabilities of Hamas and other terrorist elements, and ongoing diplomatic efforts by regional governments and the United States. The president conveyed to the prime minister that he expected a significant de-escalation today on the path to a ceasefire, the White House said. Israel has been responding to rocket attacks from Hamas with measures of its own, including airstrikes of key Hamas targets. While Biden has been supportive of Israel's right to defend itself, he has also been facing pressure from the left wing of the Democratic Party, which has criticized the Israeli response. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, hope you know, okay, there's a lot to pack into there. But, um, yeah, um, the violence is unacceptable on both sides. I mean, I understand that there is obviously an aggressor. I'm not, I'm not denying that, but I'm just saying it's just horrible. Anytime there's this kind of violence, innocent people get hurt and killed. And um, so hopefully there will be a ceasefire or some kind of de-escalation. Um, but that is a problem that Biden is facing because he's trying to walk both uh, both sides. Um, he's saying he supports Israel's right to defend itself, but um, he's got the Democratic Party, which is um, is taking Palestine's side and talking about how Israel Israel is too aggressive and. So, you know, he's he's trying to walk up. I don't know whatever happened to those. He sent some envoys there last week. We talked about it briefly. He was sending some envoys there last week, and then I don't know what happened. I mean, we haven't heard anything since, so I'm not sure if – I'm not sure what's happening with that, if, if they're over there, um, you know, if they're if they're participating in this or if uh, – and helping out or or what, but – um, but anyway, I think it's good news that there's going to be a, a de-escalation or a ceasefire because it's just getting ridiculous. We don't want another world war starting out of the Middle East, which very easily could happen because um, the world is kind of split in half as far as those who support Israel and those who support Palestine. So if that war was to get much larger and if other countries got involved, then – we could easily fall into another world war. Uh, you know, Iran would obviously take Pal Palestine side. And if Iran takes Palestine side, then Russia would take the side of Palestine. And, you know, UK and uh, the US and Britain and and then would take Israel's side. I mean, you know, and then, you know, there would just be, you'd start getting more and more until pretty soon the entire world is fighting this, this uh, proxy war, really. And so I'm glad to see that we might have a ceasefire here. All right, the Detroit News. Many of their stories are behind a paywall, but this one is not. And this has to do with the ongoing scandal with uh, Governor Whitmer and her trip to Florida to visit her father. And it's an article by Craig Mauger, I think is how you pronounce it. And the headline reads, FAA and Michigan House could probe Whitmer's private flights. The Federal Aviation Administration and the chairman of a Michigan House panel 
suggested Monday that they would further examine Governor Gretchen Whitmer's use of a private plane to visit her father in March. Representative Steve Johnson, the chairman of the Michigan House Oversight Committee, said he's considering opening the financial arrangements behind the top office holders' travel. Johnson, a Republican from Wayland, said he hadn't decided what his question will be, but added that he might draft a letter with questions and send it to the Democratic administration. If they refuse to answer the questions, maybe at that point we will do hearings. It's definitely something in consideration, Johnson said. I would like to give the administration the opportunity to answer questions before we go down that road. Legislative oversight committees have the power to review a broad range of issues, from the state budget to campaign finance issues to state regulations. Also on Monday, an FAA spokesman confirmed that Detroit-based Air Eagle, the company whose plane carried Whitmer to Florida and back, doesn't have a certificate that allows for charter-type services. The statement came after Whitmer's chief of staff, Joanne Hulls, said last week the administration used a chartered flight for this trip. It's premature to conclude that a violation of federal aviation regulations occurred, a statement from the FAA said. The FAA is looking into the matter, the statement continued. The Monday comments reveal that officials at both the state and federal levels are considering using their resources to explore the out-of-state travel, which came to light on April 19th, but has continued to draw questions. The Democratic governor continued defendment. The governor's spokesman, Bob Eddy, said Whitmer needed secure transportation. Air Eagle was able to provide it, and the flight was paid for. On Friday, Whitmer's administration revealed that a nonprofit organization that raised money for her inauguration primarily funded the private plane that carried her to visit her, her dad, Richard, who lives in Florida and is said to be battling a chronic illness. The social welfare nonprofit organization Michigan Transition 2019 chartered the private plane, which took Whitmer out of state on Friday, March 12th, and returned to her licensing on Monday, March 15th, from Whitmer's chief of staff, Joanne Holes, said. The group spent $27,521 on travel over the first 14 days of May, according to a voluntary disclosure which apparently covers the March flights, two months earlier. The same disclosure shows Whitmer paid the nonprofit $855 for her seat on the flights, 3% of the total price tag for the flights. Due to ongoing security and public health concerns, we made a decision to use the chartered flight for this trip, Holes wrote in a memo. The governor's flight was not a gift, not paid for at taxpayers' expense, and was done in compliance with the law. It remains unclear why the nonprofit was involved in funding the flights, but Chris, oh, uh, Triplecock, an attorney who's working with the Whitmer administration, said the organization defrays the cost of the governor's travel when it's consistent with the account's purposes and not covered by taxpayers. The flight was paid immediately upon receiving receipt of the cost, Triplecock said. Whitmer has said she performed duties of her office, including participation in meetings while caring for her father, but didn't specify what she did. Federal tax law prohibits nonprofits from the practice of inurement, which is the use of nonprofit income or assets to exclusively benefit an individual who has a close relationship 
the tax-exempt organization, according to the Legal Information Institute at the Cornell Law School. A newly released tax filing shows Michigan Transaction 2019 raised $1 million in 2019 after taking in $2.5 million in 2018, the year of the governor's election. The organization's president is Lisa Canada, political director for the Michigan Regional Council of Carpenters and Millwrights. Voluntary disclosures on Michigan Transitions 2019's website began in March 2019 and show about $226,000 in contributions overall in 2019. The nonprofit's mission is to operate for the promotion of civic action and social welfare by promoting the common good and general welfare of the residents of and visitors to the state of Michigan, according to a tax filing in 2019. If truly, indeed, the whole purpose of that flight was to transport the governor, then we have legal issues in play here, said Johnson, the House Oversight Chairman. The Michigan Republican Party held a Monday morning press call on the flights. During it, Johnson questioned whether there were other people on the plane and what the purpose of the nonprofit spending money on travel to Florida was. Whitmer took a private plane that's usually shared by three of Michigan's most prominent political donors. The Nicholson family of PVS Chemicals, the Marone family of the trucking company Central Transport, and the Cotton family, which formerly ran Meridian Health, are among those who use the Gulfstream G220, G280 flown by Air Legal LLC. Air Eagle didn't respond Monday to a request for comment. The Michigan GOP accused Whitmer of using the nonprofit illegally to fund the travel. The big question here is, why did Governor Whitmer pay for just 3% of a trip that was self-described as 100% personal, said Ted Goodman, spokesman for the state Republican Party. That is a great question, Ted Goodman. Uh, that this, this thing, she just keeps digging herself a bigger hole. Uh, this, this has the potential to be a really big scandal and really could derail her effort for re-election next year if she doesn't get this thing um, hatched out and explained. Because this is a real problem here. They've already lied about it being a charter flight. They've lied about several things here. And she claims that she was doing work, which, I mean, the thing is, I don't understand why she's making such a pitch to say that she took meetings and other things while she was down there. She was only there for three days and she was there to visit her ailing father. Now, I'm not excusing her behavior, but what I'm saying is if that was the case, I don't think most people would expect she went down there because her father has a chronic illness and she went down there to visit him. She was gone for three days. I don't think anybody is going to say, why wasn't she doing work those three days? You know, um, it's understood that if you're going to visit a sick relative, you're not going there. This is not a personal vacation. This is not, she didn't go down to go to Disney World or, or you know, go down to Miami and hit the surfs, you know, um, hit the waves and stuff. She said she was going down there to visit her ailing father. I don't know why they keep putting that in there that she was working while she was down there. Because just by definition, it's understood this was not a work vacation. You know, this was a personal family issue. 
So I, I don't know why they keep throwing that in there as if that's somehow relevant that she had meetings while she was there for the three days. There was nothing going on in Michigan. You know, this would be different if we if we had some kind of a catastrophe, a, a major earthquake, volcano, I mean, hurricane, something. If there was something like that and she went down there, she could say, look, I was still monitoring the whole situation. I didn't just get out of Dodge when things were rough. I was working while I was down there. That'd be one thing. But in March, there wasn't really much happening. So I just don't know why they keep throwing that in there that she was working. Because that if she was working down there, then she would have had every, I don't know if I'd say right, but um, she could have used taxpayer-funded transportation because it was a working trip. She was doing work. Just like if a business goes somewhere, you can write that off on your taxes if it's business-related. So if you're having meetings, if you have a thing in Houston and you know a convention in Houston and you're doing work, then you can write off the expense to get down to Houston. Um, you know, you can write off the hotel rooms. You can write off everything because it was business related. You were doing business while you were there. And so if, if she was doing work down there, then there was no reason for this nonprofit to pay because she went down to visit her father, but, but it wasn't personal. She was doing work. She just wanted to visit him while he was sick because she didn't know what was going to happen to him. So there was no reason to do this chartered flight and, and and have this nonprofit pay for it. She could have just taken her her governor's plane that they you know that they use or you know. So I, it just seems like it's a contradiction to keep throwing in that she was working because if she was working then then there was no reason for her then it wasn't personal as she keeps claiming it was 100% personal trip. So she didn't want the taxpayers to have to pay for it. But then she keeps saying, but I was while I was there I was working for taxpayers so. It just doesn't make any sense. And then we find out it wasn't a chartered trip, and then we find out the nonprofit was paying for it, a nonprofit which is has nothing to do, which is supposed to be, you know, for things here in Michigan. And so why are they flying the governor down to Florida? And then they come back and say, well, she did pay 3% of it. So it's not, you know, but there begs the question that, that was asked at the end by the Republican Party, Ty Goodman, spokesman, which is if it was an entirely personal trip, it had nothing to do with business, then why did she only pay 3% of the of the expense? I mean, that's a great deal. I would love that kind of a deal. You know, I can I can travel around on somebody else's dime on you know, just because I want to go somewhere and only have to pay three percent of the cost. I mean, that'd be great. It doesn't happen in the real world to everyday people. Um, so what's going on here? What really was the purpose of this trip? Was it to visit her ailing father? Or was she doing work while she was there? Was this 100% personal, so it's really none of our business? We don't have to pay for it, so it's none of our business? Or, you know, and if it was, then why, why was she getting it paid for by a nonprofit? And what and and you know it just it just opens up a ton of questions, and the more they they come up with these ridiculous answers, the more questions that are being raised. It's, it reminds me a lot of the Hillary Clinton email scandal, 
in 2015, 2016. What I think is because she she dismissed that because it was a nothing. It was nothing. And she couldn't understand why anyone would be making a big deal about her emails. And what she didn't realize, which is the same thing that Richard Nixon didn't realize when it came to a third-rate burglary in Watergate building, you know, it's the same thing that Whitmer doesn't realize, is that it's not the event that becomes the issue. The event might be totally innocuous. It might be, it might be a, a dumb, stupid, idiotic thing. What becomes a problem is when they're lying about it, it becomes a scandal, not because we all care so much about Whitmer's three-day journey to visit her father, but when there's all these unanswered questions and they start lying about it and, and, and giving you false answers and, and raising more questions than the answer, and that's what happened with Hillary's emails. She wouldn't answer it. She wouldn't take it seriously. It was, you know, I mean, there could be some who argue that it wasn't that big a deal. I wouldn't, but there are some who would argue that it really wasn't that big a deal. It was just, you know, so she had a private email server. Who cared? Um, but it became a big issue because she wouldn't talk about it. She wouldn't be honest about it. Same thing with Watergate. I mean, it was a failed third-rate burglary. They broke into the Watergate building, and they didn't even get anything. They were caught in the building, and they got arrested. It wasn't like they stole a bunch of stuff and Richard Nixon had it. It was a failed third-rate burglary by a couple bungling bunch of fools. I mean, they were like, you know, the Three Stooges in there. And... You know, they couldn't have planned it better if they had planned to be caught. They couldn't have done it any better. You know, so who cared about it? It was it was nothing until Richard Nixon got involved and started lying about it and 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 trying to cover it up. And he made it into a, a first rate scandal, which ended up forcing him to have to resign the presidency. You know, over a failed third rate burglary, you know, which is just nothing. Um, you know, and that's what I'm saying here is that it, it's very quickly turning into a huge scandal. So I went down for three days to visit my father. That's probably what Murray is saying to her aides. Who cares? Nobody cares about that. Well, she might be right. Nobody cares about that, but they do care about the governor lying about it. They do care the cover, the government or the governor is covering it up. And they do wonder if it's su such a nothing thing. Why is she lying about it? Why not just be honest? And say it was it was stupid. It was dumb. It was I just went down there. I don't know why anyone's making a big deal. This is what happened. Here's the whole story, you know. And it'd all be done with. But it, it begs the question and makes you think there must be more to this. Otherwise, she would just tell us the truth. They wouldn't be trying to obscure the facts and come up with different scenarios and trying to cover the tracks constantly. So, anyway, it, it's just. Uh, stay tuned for that one because this one might, this one might be around for a while. Uh, it depends. She still has enough time. If she was to come clean, people would be angry, but people would forget by next year when she runs for re-election. This is a thing that you know I counseled Hillary, but of course, um, she doesn't. You know, she's not returning my phone calls. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I said it many times to many people. Um, but you know, if Hillary Clinton had just admitted everything in 2015. Uh, there may have been a huge spark, a backlash, but it would have been over in a month or two, and it wouldn't have dogged her all the way up until election day. Uh, you know, and that's the that's the thing. Um, there would have been enough time in March 
in April and even in June of 2015, had she come clean and said, okay, I'm going to put this to rest. Let me release everything and tell you exactly what happened and we'll be done with it. Um, instead, she continued to drag this thing out, thinking that it's going to go away because nobody cares about this. And it ended up going right up until, you know, until Jim Comey just less than a week before the election decides to reopen the investigation into her emails. I mean, it went right up until the last minute. And, um, you know, and, and arguably helped cost her the election because this would not die. This story would not die. It went two years. And that's what I'm saying here is if Whitmer just was to come clean, people would be upset. Um, if I found out the details, I probably would be upset and we'll talk about it here. But um, by next year, though, it'll be a, an old story and no one will care. You know, but. I have a feeling because it's not in politicians' DNA to apologize and be honest. They just double down and just keep lying and keep hiding the truth and thinking they can just outrun the truth. And the truth will come out, and it's going to be devastating. Um, so anyway, that's our show for this week. And hope everyone has a great week, and we'll see you here. Next time on the Home Spoiler Cast. Bye, everyone.